Good morning. It's good to see you. And I am excited to get into this story with you. Uh, I'm excited to be back. This is my first Sunday back in a couple of weeks. We were on vacation over the 4th of July and uh, my souvenir was COVID. And so I brought that home apparently. And, uh, and Nora and I both tested positive. So we lived in the basement together. My four-year-old daughter and I lived in the basement together uh, for a few days, which is actually kind of fun. Uh, and then now we're both, uh, of course, testing negative, but wearing the mask when I'm walking around just to be extra safe. And uh, my wife makes sure we follow all the rules. She's the director of compliance at our company. So she's great at reading that CDC website and letting us know what the rules are. For some reason she's telling me Nora's allowed to go upstairs, but I have to uh, stay in the basement for three more months. And I'm not sure. I can't find that page on the website. If you could find that and let me know, that'd be great. That's not true. As she went to make uh, photocopies for the kids ministry because there were so many kids. And, and now I'm just, uh, you know, don't tell her what I said. All right. That's all I'm saying. If we don't know each other, my name's Brian and I'm the pastor here at Mount Hope in Belmont. And it's good to be here together and open up God's word together. You know, this is a parable. We've been in this series going through the parables of Jesus. This is a parable that even if you're not someone that feels like you've spent a lot of time in church or around church, this is a story you might have come across at some point. The, the parable of the prodigal son. I don't know about you, everyone that I know has, uh, and I have this too, for sure. Uh, you have something that, uh, do you have this where you know that something has the best of something? And so whenever you go to somewhere else, they may have good things, but you're always comparing it back to what is, what is best. So, uh, you know, you have the place that you love the ice cream. It's the best ice cream. And you go and get ice cream other places and it's good. But every time you taste the ice cream, you say to yourself, well, this ice cream is good, but you know, but it's not Bedford Farms, right? Or whatever it is that you, that you do. And we do that with restaurants. You do it with hotels. Oh, this, this, this hotel is nice, but you know, it's not. One time I stayed in this resort in Hawaii. It was unbelievable. And we always have that. I have that with sermons too, where familiar passages, you hear sermons preached on those passages over and over and over again. And then you come back to that passage and every time you hear it preached and every time you hear it talked about, uh, you, you say to yourself, well, that's a nice sermon, but it's not fill in the blank. And I got to tell you a number of years ago, uh, in fact, uh, he preached it on Sunday, September 11th, 2005. And I didn't hear it live, but I heard it online years later. Uh, Dr. Kim Tuck. Tim Keller, uh, who's a pastor and author and pastor in New York City, he preached a sermon on this parable that has stuck in my head for all these years. And I read the book he wrote about it and I did the small group curriculum. So all I'm saying is, is that the entire time you hear this sermon, I don't want to be accused of plagiarism or anything after the fact. All right. There needs to be a little footnote. I'm going to say it my own way, but there needs to be a little footnote that says, you know, see also Tim Keller's sermon uh, from 2005. So I don't know, maybe on the virtual stream, you can put that down there. And uh, then you can go home and you can Google it and you can listen and you'll say, you know, Pastor Brian's sermon was nice, but uh, it's no, you know, no Tim Keller, which would be true. Dr. Tim Keller says about this parable that what Jesus is saying to the tax collectors and sinners who he's meeting with and to the Pharisees who are in the area as well, he is saying to them, Every instinct that you have about how you are to relate to God the Father is wrong. It's off. 
both to the sinners and to the Pharisees. Every sort of thought you have and an instinct you would have about how people relate to God and how God relates to people, it's off base. It's, it's been, it's been uh, disturbed a little bit, uh, Dr. Keller says. And the more I read the parable, the more I think about it and pray about it, the more I'm convinced that he is right. That really what, what Jesus is saying through this simple story, both to the, to the sinners and tax collectors group that's with him and to the religious people, that's the Pharisees and the scribes here. Those are the religious leaders of the day that he's saying to them and to this group that's, that appears far from God, that all your instincts about how you're to relate to God and how you're to draw near to him, they're, they're, they're off base in some way. And to truly understand the parable, you and I have to understand a couple of things. First of all, we have to understand the setting of the parable. And that's why we read the first two verses of chapter 15. So Jesus is out there doing ministry and he's doing ministry and speaking to uh, people who are, are um, not considered to be morally right within society. And the religious leaders, the text says, are grumbling. In fact, I think this is the English standard version. The, the NIV, I think, uses the word uh, mumbling. I like that word, mumbling and muttering. And he was watching this from a distance, saying, how can he be considered a great prophet? How could he be considered a great teacher and rabbi if these are the kinds of people he chooses to associate himself with? And of course, Jesus hears and he sees what is being said. And so to understand the parable and why Jesus tells it, we have to understand the setting. And the second thing that we have to understand is that our labeling of this parable in our Bibles, I really believe is unhelpful to us here. Because your Bible, the, the titles that are at the top of the passage, those are uninspired. Those are added later on. And mine says the, the prodigal son. The parable of the prodigal son is what mine says. Yours might say the parable of the lost son. But whether it says the parable of the prodigal son or the parable of the lost son, I think this is a case in which our titles do not serve us really well. And if you're someone that is into taking notes in your Bible, I would encourage you to take a pen and write at the end of the word son to add an S. Because this is not the parable of the prodigal son singular. And it is not the parable of the lost son singular. It is the parable of the lost sons. The parable of the prodigal sons. And if we only understand it as I has traditionally understood it, as the parable of the prodigal son, meaning we're focusing on the young man who goes off and squanders his father's wealth and then comes back and the father takes him back in. If we only look at that, then we will miss the reason why Jesus tells the parable with the Pharisees in earshot. So it's the parable of the prodigal sons. And my guess is here this morning, whether you followed Jesus for, for a week or for your life, or whether you're someone who isn't quite sure that you're going to follow him yet, my guess is you will find yourself in one of these two sons as we go through the parable. Because one of the things that I think that Jesus is saying to the crowd and to us today is that you will likely take one of two paths in your relationship with God. That in your journey with God and your desire to relate with him and your efforts to relate to him or to find out true meaning and purpose, you will likely take one or two paths in your relationship with God. 
The first path is one of, of I would call it self-discovery. That, of course, is the younger brother in this story. What the younger brother does in this parable to the original listeners is truly scandalous. He comes to his father and he says, Father, I want my portion of the inheritance and I'd like it now. Now, the Jewish law in that time would say that the, the oldest son would get a double portion of whatever the other siblings got. And so in this family, where apparently there's just two sons, the older son would get two-thirds of the father's wealth upon his death, and the younger son would get one-third of his father's wealth. But you would never receive anything until uh, the, the father had passed away. And so the younger son comes to the father and says, I would like my third of your wealth now. And the scandalous thing about that is basically the son is coming to the father and he is saying, Dad, I kind of wish you were gone already. And the text says, if, if the son's request would have been scandalous, the father's response in this parable is outlandish to the listeners of the day. Because everyone would expect the father to say, how dare you? How dare you say to me, you wish I was dead already. Get out of my house. But the father doesn't do that. The father goes and he sells his property. And think about that. The father is not just emptying bank accounts and giving money to his son. All the wealth, all the money is wrapped up in property and in animals and in things like that in that day. And so when the text says that the father goes and sells his property... The Greek word there for that, that word property is a word that I think we need to, to pay attention to. And I know Sheila on the drums here and Ting on the keyboard, they just finished their first uh, session of summer Greek in seminary. So maybe they could tell us, are they up there? Oh no, they're not up there. Do you know it? All right. <laughs> Keep studying. I wouldn't have known it either. I wouldn't have known it either. Uh, but the Greek word for property is bios. Of course, where we get words like biology. And so the word is life. The father goes and he divides up his life, the text says. And he sells what he has. And he gives it to his younger son. And the younger son is basically saying back to the father, listen, I appreciate everything. But I only love you for what you can give me. And he leaves on this path of self-discovery, self-fulfillment. And that's one path that many people take on their relationship with God. I'll figure out what God looks like and I'll figure out what it means to have purpose and meaning in this life, but I'll do it on my own. Apart from religion, apart from people, other people, apart from God, I'll go and try to figure out what this is supposed to look like. And so the younger son takes what, what the father can give him and he takes it and he goes on his way and tries to figure it out on his own. That's one path that many people take in their relationship with God. But the other path that many people take in their relationship with God, and I'm just guessing, although we probably have some younger brothers in the room this morning, my guess is people that are showing up to church in the summer, we tend towards the older brother. And the older brother, it's a different path. It's the path of high morality. Meaning I will get to God and I will gain God's favor by doing what is right 
and living the life that those godless self-discovery people don't live. I will be a person of high morality. I will do what the father says to do. And I will do it in such a way that the father then will be impressed with me and will give me all that is due to me. And Jesus says that you'll likely take one of those two paths. And as he sits in front of him, he has the tax collectors and sinners on this path of self-discovery. And he has the Pharisees muttering and mumbling and grumbling on this path of high morality. And in the story, Jesus is saying something. He's saying that, that actually uh, you're, you're more similar than you realize. That both of you love the father because of what the father can give you. You either want what God will give and life and this world and, and you say thank you and then you go on your own way. Or you live this life and you try to craft it and frame it under our, our own efforts so that God will be pleased with our efforts and he will reward us in some way for all we're doing. And that Jesus is saying in this story and in this parable, really, you're, you're very similar in your attempts to get towards God because you're taking two divergent paths. But really, eventually, each path is going to create distance between you and God. And one, it's very obvious as, as the younger brother ends up sitting uh, with the pigs trying to eat with them, having destroyed his life and squandered all of his wealth. With the older brother, it's not so obvious. But by the end of the parable, there's only one brother that's outside the house. And it's not the younger one. There's only one brother that refuses to go in. And it's not the younger brother. And Jesus is saying to the, to the group, as the Pharisees mutter and mumble, he said, you know, those that are on a path of self-discovery, they often look at themselves and those that have gone their own way and are figuring out on their own and don't need God and don't need his rules. Those who are on their way, they often look at, at those who are of high morality, the, re, the religious people. And they say, you know, those of us that are figuring this out on our own, those of us that are opening our minds, those of us that are on this path of self-discovery, we're the ones who are actually in with God. We're the ones who are actually showing the love of God. And those religious bigots over there, they're the ones who are out. And the religious people are on the other side, the high morality people. And they're saying, no, we're the ones who are in. We're the ones who do the good works. We're the ones who do the right things. We're the ones who God is impressed with in the way that we live our lives. And it's you, you self-discovery people, you immoral people. You're the ones that are the problem. We're the ones that are in. You're the ones that are out and it works its way out in all sorts of things in our society, this mentality. You know, it's the blue states that are good and the red states that are bad. And it's the red states that are good and the blue states that are bad. And on every issue, we have this sort of divisiveness that shows itself. And Jesus comes in with this parable. And in one story, he says, yeah, you're actually both the problem. You're both out. Both paths take the brothers out of the father's house. 
And the problem with the younger brother's path is that, path is that it ends up with him uh, being alone and, and destitute, having wasted a, a portion of his life and things that, that were not worth running after. For the older brother, it, it leads him to a place of anger. And it's true, if we live our lives like this, that, that if we maintain high morality, that God will, that that's how God will be impressed with us and that God doles out what he has uh, to people based on how they live their lives, it will constantly lead to a place of frustration and to a place where we get angry. You may read this story and you, you might wonder to yourself, what, what is the deal with the fattened calf? Like, why, why would that be the thing? that the older brother would be so angry about, he would refuse to go in the house. Well, in that day, it was very unusual to eat meat as a meal. It was a, a great delicacy that came at great expense. And if you were going to spend the most money, the thing that was of greatest value was the fattened calf. And you imagine living in a society where, where there was no way to maintain the food after it was prepared. So if you were going to slaughter the fattened calf, it all needed to be eaten in that party and in that time period. So you'd be inviting everybody, relatives you hadn't talked to for the last couple of years, and neighbors who were living around you, everybody would have come around for this event because it didn't happen that often. And if you didn't eat it all, it was gonna go bad anyway. And so you have the, the fattened calf, the thing that was of greatest value being slaughtered when the youngest son comes home. And now you have people gathering from all around in this huge party, so much so that the older brother is returning from the field and he can hear the party happening from a ways off. And he says to the servant there, he says, what is going on? Why are we having this massive party while I've been slaving in the field? And he's so angry, he refuses to go inside that his younger brother that wanted his father dead, his younger brother that left and just squandered everything. I mean, can you imagine what's going on? Um, the father comes out to the older brother and says, everything I own is yours. Like that's a nice sentiment. It's also true. His brother already took his portion. This fattened calf is his inheritance. All of that's being spent here for this giant party for his younger brother who moved away. And he's been following his Instagram posts and his TikToks and all that stuff. Like he's been seeing what his brother's been up to. And all of that now, his brother comes home. The one that is so much worse than he is. The one that was so, such low morality comes home and his father starts spending his money to celebrate. He's furious. The father comes out to the older brother who won't go in. And the younger brother says to his father, look, huge disrespect. The respectful thing to, would be to say father in that culture. He won't address him. And then he says, your son won't even address his brother. And he says to his father, basically, what is wrong with you doing this? 
And if we live this life like the older brother of high morality, that, that this is how God is going to work, that God's going to pay, punish all those people uh, who are doing the wrong thing, and he's going to reward all the people that are doing the right way in an equitable and fair way, we will always be frustrated in this world. It doesn't always work out like that. And so one of two responses And I wonder, as you sit here this morning, which brother you see yourself in. Are you the one who is prone to go off and say, you know, God, I, I love that you're here. I love that you'll get me out of trouble sometimes. I love that you gave me life. I love that you, that you gave me uh, the ability to, to be in this place. Uh, but I'm just going to go off. I'm going to do my own thing. Figure it out my own way. I'm not going to be like one of those religious people. Are you more prone to that or are you more prone to the older brother? Do you see yourself in the older brother? I'm going to live a life of high morality. I'm going to do it because that's what God says to do. And, at the, and I'm going to do it in such a way that God will be so impressed that he will reject those who walk away and he will accept me. And Jesus says it's not how it works. Because the younger brother is lost in his badness. But the older brother is lost in his goodness. See, Jesus says, see, it's not the progressive-minded self-discoverer who's in and the religious bigot that's out. And it's not the highly moral people who are in and the bad people who are out. In the kingdom of God, Jesus is saying, it is the humble and repentant who are in and the arrogant and the proud who are out. It is the one who has the heart of the younger brother who says, I have done what is wrong. And I'll go back to my father and I'll say, father, I repent of everything that I've done. Give me a job as one of your hired hands. And that job as the hired hand is really important to pay attention to because the hired hand would have still lived out of the house. If he had asked for a job as a servant, he would have been giving living quarters and lived back in his father's house. But he's saying, I don't even deserve to be in the house. All I want is some money so that I can eat. So I'll ask for a job for a hired hand. I'll find a place to live every day. I'll go to my father's property property and I'll work and then I'll leave. He knows he's not deserve, doesn't deserve to be in the house. He knows there's nothing that he's done that gives him that, uh, that right to be there in that place. And when he comes back to the father and says, father, I repent. The father says, come inside. Let's celebrate. At the end of this parable, we learn that in our relationship with God, as we take our various paths and create distance between us and God, that God will always close the distance. But what is unknown for you and me is what our response will be to that. We find out in this parable that God will always close the distance and God's willingness and ability to close the distance is what opens up the opportunity for repentance. When that younger brother comes home, the father runs out of the house 
And in order to do that, he would have had to do something that was so undignified in the time. He would have had to take, it, take his robes and, and expose his legs as he lifted them up so that he could sprint out of the house and run to his son. Everything about that reaction is not dignified for a person in his position. And yet it's not him. He doesn't stand at the door and wait for his younger son to come groveling home. The second he sees his son, he goes running out to him and gives him a kiss. And I think it's so important that we recognize in this passage that it's not the son's repentance that opens up the door for the father's running and the kiss. The father runs and kisses his son, which opens up the door for repentance. And it is the same thing. The same thing is true for us in Christ. It is not that, that our good works and our willingness to come home then that opens up the door for God's forgiveness. But God in his love for you and me, while we were out there living with the pigs, sent Jesus Christ down to die on the cross for our sins. And that action of love, even when we don't deserve it, opens up the door for us to come and repent. And it's so important that we don't reverse those. And we say, well, I came and repented and, and so God loved me. But we recognize that God loves you so much that it opens up the door for you to come and build relationship with him. We don't know what the older brother does here. It's a real cliffhanger. It's the end of season one here. And Jesus says, the father goes out to the older brother and says, why don't you come inside? And the older brother says, no. And he says, listen, my son who is dead is alive. My son who is lost is found. And then it's like second season coming, 2023. We have no idea what happens. You know what? It's like that for you too. Like that for me. I know that we'll likely choose one of two paths in our lives that either we'll try to earn God's love through our morality or we'll go off on our own and try to figure out this life on our own. But, but what I know is true in both of those cases is that when we're outside of the house because we're so proud of our good works that we end up being outside on our own, upset at how things are working, upset that the gospel is so open and there's grace and forgiveness and repentance and that we're not getting what we are owed. When we find ourselves in those places, the father comes to us. And when we run that path of self-discovery and we run far from God and we're willing to come back, the father runs to us. That is for sure. His love for you and his desire for relationship with you. The price that Jesus Christ has already paid on the cross on your behalf. That part is sure. The question is how will you respond? And Jesus, as I've said before, says to both the Pharisees that are grumbling over there and the tax collectors and sinners in front of him, you're both out. He knows that so many of the tax collectors and sinners and younger brothers are going to repent and build relationship with him. He also knows in this moment that these religious leaders are not going to do the same and they're going to be the ones who crucify him. And the question is, what is the third way that Jesus is calling us to? 
If it's not a path of self-discovery we figured out on our own, if it's not a path of high morality where we earn God's favor like merit badges, what is this path that God calls us to? And I want to very quickly here at the end offer you three things that Christians do that I think Jesus is, is trying to get across in this parable. First of all, Christians love the Father because of who he is not because of what he gives. So often the gospel is sold to us as, are you lonely, tired, sad, depressed? It's like a self-help commercial. Do you not have as much money as you want? Do you not have the things that you want? Do you wish everything was perfect in your life? Then come to Jesus, come to God, and everything will be better. Now, I think that there's truth to that. But the problem is when the gospel gets sold like that, what we miss out on is the picture of who the father really is that Jesus gives us in this, in this parable. The father is the one who loves you and made you and created you. Your father, even if you've had a terrible father on this earth, there is a father in heaven that is unlike any father you will ever experience in this place who loves you and made you and created you. And in fact, he loves you so much that even when you were lost in your own goodness or even when you were lost in your own badness, he sent his son down to die on the cross for your sins, that you might be reconciled to him. And that even though this world is a mess because of the reality of sin, that God is in this process of rebuilding and restoring and remaking everything new. And he wants you to be a part of it. And we love him because of who he is, not because of some list of potential benefits we might receive. Andrew, a couple of weeks ago in our staff devotion time, he brought up a, a verse in Psalm 84. And there's all sorts of verses through the Psalms that, that could point to this. But, but in Psalm 84, the psalmist says this, David writes, he says, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. And when you're following God because of who he is, not because of what he gives you, this is the sort of heart that you have. Now listen, even if I only got to peek my head in the door and see what God is up to, I would rather do that than be anywhere else because of who he is. So Christians, they love the father because of who he is, not because of what he gives. But Christians, they also, and this one I think is so important. And this is where I think the gospel becomes very offensive to the older brother. Because Christians have to repent, not only for the bad we do, but also for the reasons we do good. We're used to repenting based off, off lists. I lied, I cheated, I stole, I'm sorry. And there's nothing wrong with that. We should repent of the bad things that we do. But scripture and the gospel would say, we need to understand not just what we do, but the, the actual state of our heart, the reasons why we do them and not just repent for the bad things that we do. I said something I shouldn't have said. I did something I shouldn't have done. All of those things, but that we actually end up repenting for the, for the context of our heart, the reasons why we end up doing those things. God, I am selfish and and greedy and prideful and arrogant. 
Isaiah 64, the prophet, he says this. He says, all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. And you might wonder, how could that be true? Talking about the, the uh, sacrifices and things that, that the Israelites would bring. All of our righteous acts are filthy rags. Because if we do something good, but the heart behind it is not honorable, is not honoring to God, then God doesn't really care about the good acts. He cares about our hearts. And so the older brother is doing all of these good things, but he's doing them from a place of arrogance and pride and feeling so much better than his younger brother, who's such a loser and wasted his life. And he knows that the father loves him more than the father loves other people because he's such a good person. That Jesus is saying to the Pharisees and to us in this parable, no, no, you need to repent from that. That I'm not up in heaven just checking off that you're following the 10 commandments. I'm looking for your heart. It's like, it's, it's, it's fine if I want to buy my, my wife flowers, but if I say, if she says, oh, what are the flowers for? And I say, because it's Valentine's day and I have to, I mean, how much does that mean? But if it's a random day and I, and I bring home a gift and I say, I love you, you are amazing. And I want to do something to express just how, how much I love you and care for you. It has so much more power. Same thing in our walk with the Lord. We do good things. And God says, well, why'd you do the good things? Well, because you told me to and because, you know, I want to get a gold star on my chart. Versus you are my father and I love you. And so I follow you and do what you say. So Christians do three things. They love the father for who he is, not because of what he's done. And we repent not only for the bad that we do, but also the reasons why we do good. And then, as I just said, we do what is right, not to earn the father's love, but because we've already received it. We do what is right, not just to earn the father's love, but because we had already received it. So who are you today? What are you prone to? Perhaps you're prone to be the younger brother. You have these moments where you go off on your own and you try to figure out things yourself. In fact, you're here at church this morning and you're not even sure why you're really here. And maybe the reason you're feeling what you're feeling right now in your heart is because the father is running out to you. ready to embrace you. The question, of course, is will you have the humility to repent and receive his embrace? To come back in the house. Some of us are the older brother. Just fired up about all the bad people and everything that they do. And how it's ruining everything and how we're so glad that we're not like them. And the father comes out to you. He says, look, everything I have is yours. The question is, will we have the humility 
we need to repent and come back inside. The gospel is offensive to both the younger brother and the older brother. The younger brother, because it, it, it intersects his badness and his immorality, and the older brother, because it intersects his goodness. So where are you this morning? I'm gonna invite our worship team to come forward as we close our time together today. And as they come, I'd invite you, if you would, just to bow your head and close your eyes with me for a moment. Would you take a moment in your own heart and in your own mind and spend some time repenting where you need to repent? Would you spend some time in humility where you need to be humble? Would you take a moment in the Father's presence and say, God, I am sorry for the, the wrong that I have done, but Lord, I am also sorry for the state of my heart that leads me, even when I do right things, to be a little selfish. I was listening in my time of isolation this last week. David Letterman has this program on Netflix where he interviews people and he was interviewing George Clooney and I watched it because I appreciate some of the humanitarian work that George Clooney and his wife do around the world. And David Letterman said to George Clooney, you know, whenever I do something nice for someone, I can't help but feel that the only reason I'm doing it is because I'm selfish. And George Clooney said back to David Letterman, that's the only reason any of us do this. It's because we're selfish. He said, and I have this Irish Catholic guilt that I'm trying to get rid of. Oh, that's the older brother. Thinking that if we do enough good, that God will finally be pleased with us when the reality is that selfish heart is what God wants to deal with. So where do you need to repent this morning? God, we come before you and we are so thankful for your love for us. God, thank you that you are the good father, that all we have is yours, that you offer it to us. And thank you, Lord, that our receiving it is not based on anything that we've done or haven't done. It's based on our willingness to come and humbly repent before you. And so, Lord, I repent for those areas in my own life where I have been the younger brother, where I have been lost in the bad things that I am doing, where I have, I have said thank you, but no thanks to you, and I've gone on my own way. Father, forgive me. And we repent for those places, Lord, in my own heart. I repent for the arrogance and the pride and the selfishness that makes me think that I somehow can be good enough and smart enough and moral enough to earn your reward. That heart that causes me to look on people who are far from you and in need and just simply say, I'm glad I'm not them, rather than show them the kind of love that you show. Lord, I repent of that heart. And we receive your love in Jesus' name.